Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare, with more Healthy Matters. And good morning. Welcome to this edition of Healthy Matters on this Sunday morning. And if you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. Your host, Dr. David Hilden, is in studio. Good morning to you, doctor. Good morning, Denny. And uh, a nice, nice, uh, nice weekend. Beautiful morning. Here's a beautiful cities. morning. And uh, you brought a special guest and a topic. I'm trying to think if we've done this topic before. I don't think we have. No, we're going to talk about endometriosis and other uh, gynecologic problems, but we're going to focus in on that topic. And I was trying to remember, we've done something like 550 shows, something like that, over nearly 11 years. And I don't think we've ever done a show about this topic. And so that makes it about time. Indeed. Yep. <laughs> it's about time. And so... We, uh, we've called into duty Dr. Eric Hegard. Now, Dr. Hegard is a guy I have met all of twice. Uh, <laughs> one of them was this morning, and one of them was a few weeks ago. And uh, he has been practicing for some time in uh, gynecology, but he just um, joined, so he's not brand new to the field. He's a well-seasoned physician, but um, he's new to Hennepin Healthcare. He joined us down at our uh, downtown campus um, just a few weeks ago. Dr. Hegard, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's great to have you on. So we're going to get to the topic of endometriosis pretty um, uh, shortly. But first of all, tell us all about yourself just a little bit. So you've been at Hennepin <laughs> for all of three weeks. How's That's it right. going so far? It's wonderful. It's yeah? absolutely wonderful. It's uh, it's kind of everything I hoped it would be, which is uh, a, a, a nice, tight community that everybody's very supportive and has been very helpful to me. Um, there's this great sort of spirit of, uh, I don't just, everybody seems, I know this is, you know, this is just, uh, three weeks in, but people seem generally happy. They're incredibly helpful. And, uh, the, uh, the practice I'm in with my group of, of other OBGYNs led by, um, the, the chair of the department has just been wonderful. And the opportunity to, to do some teaching and work with residents and, and medical students has just been superb. Terrific. Well, welcome to the place. Welcome to the show. Thanks Thank for you. coming in and doing a little radio. Well, it's wonderful. I'm uh, excited so, to be here. <laughs> so um, uh, we're going to get um, uh, we're going to get into that uh, the topic of endometriosis. Tell me first of all, what is it? Okay, that's a great question. Um, endometriosis is the presence of cells or tissue that is similar to, but not identical, Doctor Hilden similar but not identical to the lining of the uterus that in people who have periods and bleed every month, um, uh, that's called the endometrium. And so the presence of tissue that is similar to the endometrium, the lining that bleeds off every month when a woman is having her periods, is called endometriosis. So, yeah, the presence of tissue that's similar to the lining of the uterus, somewhere it's not supposed to be. So it's not inside the uterus itself? Correct. What causes that? That sounds weird. Uh, Well, it is weird. It's... It's endlessly fascinating, especially for if you don't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who have it, it can be it can range from being annoying to just uh, uh, almost incapacitating for some people. It's, it's, in terms it's, of pain, 
pain and yeah, I try, usually it's pain that is incapacitating for people. And you ask the question, what is it or where, what causes it? And it's like probably many diseases, it's more than one thing. There's def- definitely a genetic predisposition. So if you talk to families uh, and, and you start asking around, sometimes it'll be obvious, like uh, the patient will say, oh, yeah, my mom had it or my grandmother had it. Sometimes it's, it's not, it, and, uh, which is problematic because it leads to, to isolation, that sort of thing. But oftentimes if you dig a little bit, sometimes it's coming in through the father's side. It's not quite so obvious. So there's a genetic component to it. But then there are other things that seem to be contributing, and there's, an, there's probably an environmental component to it. There's an immune system aspect to it, um, and so an inflammatory aspect to it. So it's kind of multifactorial, and uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of research, and it's not exactly clear. So how do women know they have it then? Again, that, that is, I think, the most, the most pressing or poignant question I think that you've asked because how do people know it? A lot of times they don't know it Mm -hmm. Um, because like many topics of medicine, but I think particularly in areas that have to do with down there, Dr. Mm -hmm. Hilton, you know, down south under the hood, people don't, it's not common dinner table conversation. So it's not cocktail party conversation where you say, uh, you know, how are your periods? Yeah. Are they pretty painful? Can you hand me the spinach dip sort of thing? Right. It's just it, not going to fly. It doesn't it? happen. And so uh, it's a lot of times by the time I've seen somebody, they've uh, and this actually is borne out by research, it takes often uh, eight, seven to, seven to ten years before they're accurate, accurately mm-hmm. diagnosed. The most common symptoms are painful periods. That's, that's kind of the, mm-hmm. you know, number one on the symptom list. But if you are – if you're in a family where perhaps all the women have really painful periods or people just don't talk about it at all. You might not even know that. You might not even know. You, you might know what you're, what you're experiencing is not normal. Mm-hmm. And this is, the, this is the sad thing about it is that it tends to affect – generally the symptoms start in adolescence when, a, when, a, when a, a girl, an adolescent, is starting to get her periods. Not all the time, but a lot of times if you dig into it again, you'll find – you know, one of the questions I'll ask is, what, is your, what were your periods like when you were a teenager? Mm-hmm. And uh, oftentimes I'll say, well, I had to miss school or I had to miss activities. And that's where, that's where I try to kind of focus in on because most women will have some pain and cramping with periods. But there's a difference between pain and cramping that is annoying or you take some Advil or Naproxen or whatever and you go on with your day versus periods that are so disabling that uh, this young person is curled up in a ball, can't do their activities, can't go to school. And so – And she might not identify that to anybody or might not tell anybody. She might not or her mom may have had the same thing. And so – Well, that's what it's like, honey. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. this, this is yeah. just – this is the way things are. And so there's no – and again, as a society, uh, we don't talk about these things very comfortably. And so many people don't know that this is not normal. It's not normal. And so one of the, one of the messages that I and other people who work a lot with endometriosis are trying to get out in terms of uh, – and especially, uh, for example, with nurses that work in middle school and that sort of thing is that painful periods that um, affect your ability to do what you want to do are not normal. They're not normal. So to try to, we want to try to break the sense of isolation and uh, uh, surrounding this condition. That's an important message right there. 
Yes. I mean, just that very sentence that if it's, if your menstrual period is painful, not allowing you to do your activities, exactly. it's not normal. It's not normal. And so if, if, we, if listeners get nothing else from this conversation today, Dr. Hilden, remember that. So I know that uh, many of, of your listeners, meant, well, there may be men listening to, mm-hmm. to this, or, and people of different ages, maybe you're beyond the time when you're having periods anymore. But if you have young women in your family, women you care about, know that this is, you can help spread the word and just say, you know, talk to this, uh, talk about this subject, talk about it. Yeah. Uh, when you sit down as a family, be, you know, be willing to at least explore this conversation because it's it's hard enough for people who are adults to talk about issues related to the reproductive tract. It can be for many young uh, people who have periods. It, it can be it, it can be incredibly difficult and scary and that sort of thing. And so sometimes you need to. To open the door for them. And so if you have young women uh, that you care about and love uh, and they may be missing school periodically, open the door because sometimes they don't know how to do it themselves. Great advice. Great advice. Um, so you told me or you told us that it was due to uterine or endometrial tissue, the lining of the uterus, that's outside the uterus. So right. are, are we saying that there's little bits of cells? Is it little cells or is it big pieces of tissue that are – elsewhere in the belly or where is it? Well, this is the thing that's very mysterious about this condition, this disease, is that generally it's in the the, the pelvis. Mm-hmm. 90 I'm just going to throw it in, 95% of the time when you find endometriosis, it will be in the pelvis, sitting on the fallopian tubes, the ovaries, the deep pelvis between the rectum and the vagina, mm-hmm. sitting over the bl- the bladder deep down there. But uh, but it can be anywhere. They found it in the lungs. They found it in the brain. And so the about 100 years ago, there was a doctor who was actually maybe even more named John Sampson. And he came up with Sampson's theory of retrograde menstruation. Mm. And so this, was been, this has been the paradigm for endometriosis for – and there are still a lot of people who support this idea, which is the idea – uh, that when a woman has her period, some blood, instead of going out the vagina, actually comes through the fallopian tubes and falls in the pelvis. goes backwards, basically. Yes. Yeah, it goes backwards. Thank you. That's a better word to describe yeah. it. And that the, think, the thinking was, well, okay, so this, these cells go into the pelvis, the blood, and that there are living cells that then plant like seeds wow. into, the, into the, the pelvic tissue and then start to grow and respond to the hormones that the ovaries make. It, it makes great sense. It kind of does, it I does. have to say. It makes perfect sense. But the problem is, is that how does that explain how it gets into the brain or the lung? Right. Is that uh, it, it does, and so things just don't fit. And also when you actually, when a pathologist who's a doctor that, that looks at tissue under the microscope, uh, looks at this tissue, it is not identical to the lining of the uterus. It's similar to, but not identical. And so that kind of breaks that whole idea. And so for many people who have been, who have read about endometriosis over the years, that idea of retrograde menstruation as being the, the foundation of it uh, is what we've heard about. But, for, but really it's kind of debunked. So when you, when you ask me what causes it, I'll, I can say, um, well, there's environmental, genetic, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, 
you know, it's not exactly clear. But what I can tell you is what it's not, mm-hmm. which is it's not based on retrograde it's menstruation. It's not because you're bleeding. The it's not, yeah, exactly. And those nine, cells grew there on their own somehow. Well, that's the th- exactly. And so um, and the other thing is that probably 95 percent of women have some retrograde menstruation. Mm-hmm. So if 95 percent of women have it, why don't 95 percent of women have endometriosis and the incidence is about 10 percent, which is still massive amounts 10% of... 10 percent of women get this? Yes, have it. Yep. Wow. We're going to talk a lot more about that, including um, how you diagnose it, what are treatments of that. We're talking to Dr. Eric Hegard from Hennepin Healthcare um, about uh, uh, endometriosis in women. And um, uh, we'll uh, take a quick break yeah, now. let's do and that. And we'll line up some phone calls, but we have a lot more to talk about after the break. Very good. Here is the number. It's, by the way, it's the same number both for the phone call and for the text, 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226 for your text messages or your phone calls. We'll take this break and be right back. 69 degrees here in A3OWCCO. And welcome back to this portion of Healthy Matters. If you want to get involved in the show, two ways to do that. Same number for both phone calls and text messages, 651-989-9226. Here again is Dr. Hilden. Thanks, Denny. We're talking to Dr. Eric Hegard, a um, gynecologist at Hennepin Healthcare. We're talking about endometriosis today. Um, And so we'll uh, get back to that topic in just a moment. But before I do, I want to mention something that I did last week as well about our Brooklyn Park Clinic. We have a huge um, patient population who lives in the northern metro area in Brooklyn Park, Brooklyn Center, northern Minneapolis, the areas out that way, um, all the way out into uh, Maple Grove, even if you're up in Hopkins, Plymouth, that area. The, the Brooklyn Park Clinic is a really um, uh, fine facility with great doctors up in Brooklyn Park, but the good news is is that it's expanding. We're really um, uh, uh putting a lot of effort into the Brooklyn Park Clinic. It's located at 7650 Zane Avenue North. It has doubled in size. It's added more specialty services, including chiropractic and acupuncture. It's got a physical therapy gym now and an on-site pharmacy. Um, so you can get all your health care needs at one location if you live in the northwest suburbs. We have primary care at Brooklyn Park. We have pediatrics. There's infusion therapy and diabetes educators. Um, so the Brooklyn Park Clinic and Pharmacy, it's growing. It's, good. it's there for you, for your whole family. So learn more at hennepinhealthcare.org slash Brooklyn Park. It's really a great place to get your care. You can get just about anything you need out there at the newly doubled in size Brooklyn Park Clinic and Pharmacy. So back to endometriosis. So Dr. Hegard, we were talking a little bit about um, you know, what is it, what causes it, you know, what are some of the theories about it. And, you know, and how it presents, what kind of symptoms. Can you talk about the long-term effects then of endometriosis? And yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to answer this question because it came from a listener via our text line. It says, does having endometriosis affect a woman's ability to conceive? So can you talk about fertility issues? Yes. Yeah, so let me, let me just circle back for just a second, which is that symptoms. So these are things that, that people should pay attention to, which is, Painful periods, that's the classic one. But uh, as time goes on, painful sex, uh, painful bowel movements, painful urination, and pain. So a lot of times this is, it, it is a progression that oftentimes in earlier stages when a woman is younger that it, it may be painful periods, brutally painful periods. 
But as time goes on, it progresses to these other things. With that pain, the other ones you talked about, painful bowel movements, pain for sexual intercourse, all that stuff, would it be only during her period or throughout the month? Well, that's the tragedy of the condition is that oftentimes it starts – it's cyclical. It, it, oftentimes it's worse when a, when a person is having their period. But – and everybody's disease is different. This is the the mysterious thing about it, which is that some people, uh, it may stay mild for their whole life. Other people, it can progress to disabling pain. But oftentimes, it'll start with pain during the period. But as time gets goes on, it can just become pain, pain all the time. And so these are the things – this is the reason why we want to recognize these symptoms, make a diagnosis, and intervene early. Because if you can – we believe and we hope that if you can intervene on this disease early, you can change the trajectory of a, of a, of a woman's life. Mm. Because by the time many, – many times by the time I see somebody, they've had multiple surgeries. They've had misdiagnoses for years and years and years and they're coming to me and uh, they have not – in addition to just endometriosis – I shouldn't say just endometriosis, but in addition to endometriosis, they now have – a plethora of other things. They have um, chronic pain syndrome. They have painful bladder syndrome. They have what's called pelvic floor disorder, which is or dysfunction, where the the muscles of the pelvis and the ligaments and the, uh, are not balanced. And so, uh, and then they have a nerve. What happens with people with chronic pain syndromes is is that the nerves that go everywhere in your body, you know, your your brain and nervous system get rewired, and so the volume of the signal the pain signal that comes from that area is higher than it should be. So you're, that's why when we circle back and we start talking about treatment, it's a, it's a multi-front attack on right. us uh, to manage it. But And I do want to come back and talk um, after the top of the hour. I want to talk about what treatments you're talking about. Okay, and, and so your, your listener had asked about fertility. Yeah, is that and, a concern? Yes. And so uh, if you come into my office and you are having trouble getting pregnant, and we've ruled out the obvious things like, you know, do you remember this from medical school, Dr. Hilden? The most common reason couples have trouble getting pregnant is number one, the woman doesn't release an egg on a regular basis. Number two, there's some obstruction with the ability of the egg to get from the uterus or from the ovary through the floating tube into the uterus. And number three, problems with the guy. Mm-hmm. Those make up 25% each. And so as a physician, you've ruled out or you've made sure, oh, yeah, she, she ovulates. You've made sure her tubes are open. You make sure the, the, the male partner uh, in uh, heteronormative relationships uh, has a normal s- sperm count. Well, and they're, and they're young, you know, so age-related problems with, with fertility are a big deal too. But if, if you've ruled out all that, I can tell you you've got a 50% chance you've got endometriosis just because you're sitting in the chair and you have wow. a pulse. Whether you have symptoms or not, 50% of the time you will have endometriosis if, if all those other stuff is, is not present. And so, yes, yeah, so uh, people, endometriosis in and of itself can cause problems with the fertility. Why? There's a number of different reasons. I'm glad you said that because I didn't say why. Well, because if you, look at, if you look inside with a laparoscope, with a camera in somebody's belly, on somebody who's got endometriosis, there are different stages. There's minimal, mild, moderate, and severe and in people who have minimal disease, you may see little spots like red spots or black spots, blue spots, that sort of thing. Or sometimes they can be incredible. Just on the internal just, organs? Yes, yeah, sitting. Scattered throughout? Right. Like, yes, exactly. Scattered throughout, usually in the pelvis. Um, but in more severe 
stages of the disease, it can look like somebody's taken glue and thrown it in the pelvis. I mean, everything is stuck together. The the bladder can be stuck to the uterus. The ovaries can be stuck behind the uterus or the pelvic sidewall. The tubes can be stuck down. And the way it is important for when we're trying to get pregnant that everything be mobile. The fallopian tubes need to move around and grab the egg almost like a an outfielder grabs a you know a fly ball. Um, it needs to be able to move. And so if they're stuck down, those those fallopian tubes can't crawl to the ovary and catch the egg. And so we call that anatomic distortion. Things are just not moving around. So that's kind of obvious. If you sh- if you show somebody a picture of somebody with severe endometriosis, you'll they'll look at it and say, "Oh, I can look that's at obvious, that." That's yeah. obvious, right? Um, but there's more than that. There's uh, we all have this fluid that sort of floats around in our guts that lubricates our bowels, and and in women, that fluid actually goes in and out of the fallopian tubes and circulating back and forth. And there's all this stuff in there that's not supposed to be there. And I, things like which, you know, if you're not in the medical field, you wouldn't, but cytokines and, and inflammatory uh, uh, cells and, and chemicals that uh, are not helpful to, to an egg fertilizing and implanting. So there's a lot of different things that can cause it. I think I went to all the classes in med school. I didn't skip class or anything, but I didn't re- – that is – that I learned more in that last five minutes than I think I remember during my med school class. That was really descriptive, Eric. Well, they this think- is the tragedy and embarrassment to my specialty. Yeah, oh, there you go. We're, like we have a whole other half of the show. We're going to talk much more with Dr. Eric Hegard. We have several text messages that are going to help drive our conversation um, after the break. And if you'd uh, rather call in your question, that's the same number as the text number. That's six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Again, six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. We expect more showers and thunderstorms here in the Twin Cities today and overnight as well. Right now, mostly cloudy skies. The dew point at uh, 62 and the current WCCO temperature reading at 69 degrees. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden. Internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare with more Healthy Matters. And good morning. Welcome to this portion of Healthy Matters. Uh, we have a uh, one particular number you can call in your question uh, or send a text. Either way, same number, 651 989 9226. And if you're just joining us a little bit late, uh, Dr. Hilden, good morning. Uh, for those uh, joining us, who did you bring with you today? I brought Dr. Eric Hegard. He is a gynecologist. Do you do obstetrics too? I do. Okay, so he's an obstetrician gynecologist um, uh, there, uh, um, at Hennepin Healthcare. He is uh, here in the studio to talk about endometriosis. I've got just a couple of um, housekeeping things. First of all, I'm working this week, I'm actually on the service. Uh, I'm doing inpatient care. So right now, um, I've got a just a strong group of resident physicians who I hope are working hard. Are they listening? I don't know. I don't know. But sometimes I if say- If I were your resident, I'd be listening. Yeah, exactly. And so um, uh, I have, for, for listeners, resident physicians, what that is, they are physicians who are in training still. When you finish medical school, you're not done, unfortunately. You, uh, you do your four years of medical school after you did your four years of college- 
But then you have to do a residency, and the shortest residency is three years. That's what internal medicine is, what I do. How long is OBGYN? Is it four? Four. Four years of extra training. So let me ask you this, Dr. Hilden, yeah. if, you, if you don't mind just jumping in here. Why is it that internal medicine, which I, I hope you don't take offense to this, but you guys are like brains with legs, right? Yeah. You have to be the smartest people. We're why the nerds it, of the medicine. Nerds. So why is it that you guys have a three-year residency in OBGYNs who are down the – I don't know. I think it's because you're surgical. Okay. All right. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Because an obstetrician gynecologist is a surgeon. Yes. um, But also sees patients in the clinic. I don't know. That's what I think it is. Um, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You do bring up a good point. I often say that, you know, internal medicine, we are sort of the the nerds of medicine because we do the chronic diseases and more of the thinking kind. We're what's called one of the cognitive specialties. So we, we do diabetes and cancer and heart disease. And we're not surgeons or we don't do as many procedural things. So if my residents are there, um, I, uh, I hope you're listening. If not, I hope you're taking real good care of the patients and uh, I, will yes. be there short- I will be there shortly. The second bit of business I want to say is that if you live in the Northwest Metro, our Brooklyn Park Clinic has doubled in size. And we want to encourage you, if you need primary care, pediatrics, if you need chiropractic, physical therapy, we have infusion therapy there. We have all kinds of specialties at the recently expanded Brooklyn Park Clinic. Um, you couldn't get much more convenient, full-stop shopping medical care than at the beautiful new Brooklyn Park Clinic of Hennepin Healthcare. If you want more information, go to hennepinhealthcare.org slash Brooklyn Park, and you can learn all about that. I really encourage you. But you know what? I often talk about the facilities like I just did. And I often talk about our new facility in downtown Minneapolis, which is just a state-of-the-art medical facility. But you know what? It's not really the building that makes the difference. It is the people you will see when you get there. I think you're going to find um, you get the best, um, most person-centered care you could possibly have at our Brooklyn Center Clinic. Okay. So we're talking about endometriosis. And we were talking about what is it, what causes it, and what are some of the symptoms of it. Could you tell us, Dr. Higar, what you can do about it? What are the treatments of endometriosis? And then I'm going to go to some text lines because we have a lot of questions. Well, we could do a whole show about treatment of this, but I will tell you this. In in my mind, the most important thing we can do about this is to recognize it exists and to be aware of it because where, at what point you intervene, you know, whether if you if you're lucky enough to intervene early versus if you intervene when somebody's had it for 10, 15, 20 years depends on what you can do and how effective it is. And so that's why we were talking a little bit before about the importance of just talking about this and recognizing it. And uh, but the, the treatments really are there. There are there are there are medical treatments and there are surgical treatments. And oftentimes we co- combine those and and uh, you're kind of how you decide what to do depends on what the goal is because endometriosis causes two kind of overarching things. One is it causes pain. The other is it causes fertility issues. And so sometimes when you're trying to – so you've got to decide with the patient what is the primary thing. So if you're, if you're coming to see me and your issue is pain, I might – undoubtedly, I'll probably treat you differently than if you come and see me with your main – uh, symptom being you're having trouble getting pregnant because sometimes when you're trying to manage one thing, it actually makes the other one harder. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're just if you're trying to get somebody help them get pregnant, sometimes some of the treatments we use for that can actually exacerbate endometriosis and vice versa. So there's the med- and so a lot of times medical treatment, uh, which usually involves either 
decreasing estrogen levels or increasing progesterone levels um, can help symptomatically, but it doesn't really do anything about the disease. It's, it, so, and, uh, so you're not really doing anything about the condition. You're just trying to manage the symptoms, which is fine. Um, and so surgery, the decision to operate on somebody, which again is a, a huge conversation, is really based on whether somebody's failed the more conservative, less risky options, or if if you're trying to manage somebody who's maybe having trouble getting pregnant, you don't know why, and you're kind of at a decision tree where it's either go on to in vitro fertilization, for example, or go in and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the I guess the bottom line, my uh, in my from my point of view, is that there are effective treatments. It's a chronic condition that take that you really need to just realize that this is something that you're probably going to, a patient's going to be managing over her, her life uh, to varying degrees. And, uh, and to, to have a good rapport and conversation with your provider to make sure you discuss the, or you understand the different options. There is a text message um, uh, question that's very succinct. I'm just going to say it to you. Can this affect us in our 70s? Yes, it can. Absolutely. And so this is one of the myths. There's a lot of myths about endometriosis, which is, for example, well, you can't, you're too young to have endometriosis. Well, they found endometriosis in fetuses and in, and in girls that aren't even in adolescence yet. So you can be, you can have endometriosis when you're young. You can also have endometriosis when you're post menopausal. And the reason why there's confusion about that is endometriosis is an, is an estrogen dependent condition. Estrogen is the fuel that, that fuels these little lesions, these, the endometriosis implants. And so, you know, the way, as I was saying, the way we manage symptoms oftentimes is medically is to try to decrease the estrogen levels. So you're taking fuel away from the fire or try to increase progesterone levels, which have the opposite effect. So, uh, but, and so you, people think, well, okay, I'm, I'm postmenopausal. There's not much estrogen left. The symptoms should go away, and oftentimes they do. But uh, there's a subset of people who can still have endometriosis symptoms uh, even when they're postmenopausal because these little evil beasts of endometriosis are, have a what's called an aromatase. Some of them mutate and have an aromatase, which is an enzyme which allows them to create their own estrogen. So you can, you can try to you know, cut off estrogen, but they'll create it on their own. And so that's why... You can still have active endometriosis in, if you're in your 70s, but also the the repercussions of having had endometriosis of your life, you know, adhesions, scarring, that sort of thing can, you know, that doesn't go away necessarily. So estrogen being the primary or one of the big primary female right. hormones that drops somewhat at right at menopause is that always the case that the your estrogens drop? So 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 for yes. some women. Um, it could get better. Is that, yes, a, for is many, that a fair statement? Yeah, for many women, probably most women, if they have endometriosis and they go through uh, menopause, their estrogen levels drop not to zero, but pretty close. So the, the you know the average the average estrogen circulating level in somebody who's you know twenty five years old is probably anywhere from I'm just whipping this off the top of my head, but it's like seventy to two hundred. Let's just say, and so when you're menopausal, it drops down to less than ten, probably. And so, but uh, you know, they, some cases of endometriosis, the the lesions mutate and allow them to create their own fuel. Great. Um, I'm I'm getting the signal here from Devin that we might need to take a break. 
And so I'm going to go to the text line um, at the other side. All right, very good. Here is the number both for text and phone calls to 651-989-9226, 651-989-9226. We'll be back after the break. 71 degrees on WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to this portion of Healthy Matters. If you'd like to get involved in the show, you can call us or text us, 651-989-9226. That number applies to both calls and texts. And I know we have a bunch. Okay, let's go to some text lines, Dr. Higar. This one says, I have painful, debilitating periods since I was young. I was missing class, missing work, usually on day one and day four of the cycle. I was not diagnosed with endometriosis or anything else. What else could this be? So what about painful periods? Um, I know we talked about that way early in the show um, relative to endometriosis, but just in general, talk about painful menstrual periods and... What should women or people experience that do? Well, it, if she's got if she has periods that were so painful that she had to miss school or activities, uh, I would say there's a ninety five percent chance she probably did have endometriosis or does have endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some other conditions that can cause it. There's a condition called adenomyosis, which is uh, where uh, Actually, the lining of the uterus that bleeds every month starts to invade into the muscle of the uterus, almost like a weed invades into the soil underneath. And so uh, if you have adenomyosis, when you have periods, you're not just bleeding out the uterus, but you're bleeding in the muscle. Extraordinarily painful, heavy bleeding and that sort of thing. So, But a lot of times you, we call them evil twins. Uh, endometriosis and adenomyosis can go together. But from what she's describing, uh, you asked what else could it be? Well, not you know, as many other yeah, things. If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, and it's a duck. It's probably a duck. And so, uh, this I could almost, you know, I'd say the chance that it's anything else but endometriosis is probably unlikely. So, where so should what, she go? What should she do? Yeah. Well, you want to get like a lot of things in medicine. You want to be advocate for yourself. I and mean, the perfect patient is somebody who educates themselves and can bring information into you and help you as a clinician make a proper diagnosis. So advocate for yourself and educate yourself. There's some places to go to. Uh, great resources online. There's the Endometriosis Foundation that was co-founded by uh, Padma Lakshmi, who's a celebrity chef, actress, model. Um, great organization. They also have a part of that organization that is devoted to educating middle schoolers and uh, uh, middle school teachers. Center for Endometriosis Care in Atlanta has got a great website. Most areas of the country have support groups that are regional. Like, for example, in, in Minneapolis, we have Minnesota Endo Warriors. Great organization. You can just look Minnesota them up. Minnesota Endo Warriors? Endo Warriors. Can you just search for that yep. online? Yep. Um, so you, said, you said three things. Endometriosis Foundation. Foundation Center for Endometriosis Care. Uh, here in the Twin Cities, we have Min, uh, Minnesota Endo Warriors. There's also a, a Minnesota Endometriosis Support Group. And then if you are on Facebook, which virtually everybody with a pulse is in this world, there's a organization, a support group called Nancy's Nook. If you have symptoms, if you think you've got endometriosis, I would suggest signing up. It's a private group. but uh, And Nancy was the nurse for a doctor named Dr. Uh, Redwine, who was one of the the, founda- the pioneers of modern endometriosis surgery. And so uh, she has been running this for years. And when I first met Nancy, I've never met her personally, but we talked on the radio or on the telephone and communicated. There were about 8,000 people on the support group. Now, there's now easily over 50, maybe 60,000 people. So you can get great information. So don't be isolated. 
get good information because you want to, number one, get information, but also you want to get into somebody who knows what they're doing. And so they can. You know, there's a lot of resources there. That's really helpful. Here's back to the text line. I was told after a total hysterectomy by my OBGYN that my uterus was completely covered by fibroids. Yeah. Are fibroids different from endometriosis? Yes, fibroids are muscle tumors. They, uh, so they're, they're benign, non-cancerous muscle tumors. The uterus is made of muscle. That's basically what it is with a glandular lining that bleeds every month if you're having periods. And that muscle can make benign growth, just like your skin can make a benign mole. Or, you know. And so it's just a muscle, uh, benign muscle growth. They look like little marbles. Um, they can be little marbles and they can be huge marbles, but it's a completely different than, thing than endometriosis. Here's another text that says, why can endometriosis not be seen on a CT scan or an MRI? Sometimes it can be, uh, but most... It endom- have to be pretty big, it, right? Yeah, it has to... Those, those imaging modalities need a mass. It needs, some, it needs enough of whatever disease you're looking for to create a blob, you know, something that, can, that has three-dimensionality to it. Endometriosis tends, it, it does, it invades the thin lining that surrounds our abdomen and pelvis called the peritoneum. And so most of these lesions early on are very thin, and so you can't pick them up on ultrasound or CT or MRI. Now, in severe cases, you can see findings that are suggestive of, though not diagnostic. So you, you might see a cyst on the ovary that looks there's a thing called an endometrioma, which is an endometriosis cyst that has a very characteristic appearance to it. And so you can pretty much say, yeah, that's, that's probably endometriosis. But the only real diagnosis is you have, to, you have to look at it and biopsy it, so surgery. You do robotic surgery, correct? I do. Could you just in 60 seconds tell us what that is? Robotic surgery is maybe better understood by calling it robotic-assisted laparoscopy. So many people have heard of what a laparoscope is, which is when you put a camera into the abdomen, or really, I, they do it everywhere. They look, they look in the chest, they look in joints. Those are that's endoscopy. But in my area, you're looking in the pelvis and the abdomen with a camera. That's called a laparoscopy. And historically, what we've done is we put in these little tubes in the abdomen and we put instruments through there, and we manipulate things. We have little forceps and scissors and that sort of thing, and you're controlling this with your hand and you're looking with your eyes. Well, robotic-assisted laparoscopy, you, you have a, a robot that attaches to those instruments. And so then you step away, you know, you're sitting maybe, usually you're sitting 5, 10 feet away and looking through a console and you're controlling these, these same instruments that are similar instruments that you did with your hands using robotic assistance. So the, the precision is just unparalleled. You, you can, and what's helpful for what I do, which is surgery for endometriosis, you ideally want to go and cut this stuff out. Cut it out, not buzz it with, with, a, with cautery or whatever. You want to cut it out. And so um, it's so good at helping at least me see those little spots or the lesions, and sometimes it's much more than that, and be able to cut it out. And I was told you were one of the first credentialed to do that. In Minnesota, yes. I, there there were... Uh, so I started in 2008, and we, uh, my group and I, went and uh, we were brought out to be trained for it. And so I recognized the advantages of it right off the bat. And I've done probably close to a thousand. Yeah, so this is one of the most. Dr. Hegard is one of the most experienced robotic gynecologic surgeons there is. 
He now is at Hennepin Healthcare. So I would say you might want to consider uh, coming. Your practice is open for patients? Open. We are open. He's open for business. Yeah. Literally one After of the, this, I'm going to go down to the corner on Nicholas Yeah, exactly. Mall He's one of the first, sprinkle my cards. first gynecologists to do this robotic surgery. Um, if you want to get a hold of him, I know we're running out of time. If you want to get a hold of him or any of our, our, our practitioners at Hennepin Healthcare, it's the same number, 612 8736963. Do you know what I might do is um you know I do at the my healthy to the shows. I think I'm going to put up those those I'll work with Dr. Hegard and put up a blog post about endometriosis resources. So look for that in the coming days at myhealthymatters.org. You don't have to wait. You can go to that site right here and now and look up all of the dozens, hundreds of other posts I've done over the years at MyHealthyMatters.org. But look there in the coming week, and I'll do some about endometriosis, including those resources that Dr. Hegard had mentioned. We're out of time. Thanks Shoot. for being here. Well, thank you very it much, It goes Dr. quickly. Hilden. You are a wealth of knowledge. Welcome to Hennepin. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to We're, be at Hennepin yeah, County. He is, he is Dr. Eric Hegard. He's been practicing for, for a long time, but only for the last month at our place. And so we are lucky to have him with us. We've been talking about endometriosis on the show today. If you need to get in touch with him, or not him, but uh, if you need to schedule an appointment, 612-873-6963. What's on the show next week? We're going to do an open lines. Uh-huh. Open lines, so get any and all your questions ready, and I'll try to answer them. Good deal. We'll see you back here uh, then. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, uh, mostly cloudy skies. We expect showers today uh, here in the Twin Cities. Highs of 83 right now. It's 71 degrees on 830 WCCO.